0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry Rowland, and this is Stuff You Should Know. My vocal cords are about to split
0: wide open. Are they? Sure. You don't sound weird. Oh, really? No, you sound... Very Josh-like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is that? Izzy. I think that's how you pronounce it. Sparkling is- <laughs> Um bear.
0: wait, You got a little uh, throat thing? <clears> throat> no, you know, like when you just talk too much. Have you been talking too
1: much? I guess. Or you're stressed.
0: I was under the impression that aside from these uh, two hours, you just sort of sit in silence. Mm-hmm and you and yumi pantomime right everything yeah. <laughs> we do uh interpretive dance yeah you like got to save my my vocal cords babe yeah uh well I'm sorry to hear that
1: you sound normal well I'm glad I sound normal cuz I don't feel like I do but if I sound normal who
0: cares about how I feel no oh, come on everyone cares no <laughs> uh this podcast by the way <clears throat> has per- perhaps the best band name ever Right there in its title. I think
1: it's overdone.
0: Charismatic Megafauna? Yeah. What do you mean? Like, there's so many bands named that? Or you just think the name is too much?
1: Yeah. The latter of those two. I think it's pretty good. No? Charismatic Megafauna. I mean, maybe for your second band.
0: Oh, your side gig?
1: No, no, no. Like, the second before, you know, your third, fourth, or fifth one where you finally
0: <laughs> hit it. Gotcha. I'm still waiting on that. Are you? No. no. El Cheapo is... The first and last. But a hobby.
1: The Alpha and the Omega.
0: And nothing in between.
1: How do you like my Latin? Or is that Greek? (laughs) No, this is off to a terrible start. No, this is great. So I saw a t-shirt the other day. Um, I should give credit where credit's due. Yumi saw a t-shirt the other day and showed it to me. It was Uh pretty awesome. You know, um, it was World Wildlife Fund logo.
0: Because you were just walking around kicking rocks. (laughs) <laughs> right, she's Not like, hey, looking up. look up every once look in a up.
1: while." Look up. She pantomimed, "Look up." <laughs> right. Now I pantomimed back. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, it was a the World Wildlife Fund logo with the panda, but there was another panda coming up behind it with a folding chair, which is a play on the WWF. <laughs> it, yeah, I've seen that before. Great, great t-shirt. It is good. Um, but the fact that the panda is the the front man for the World Wildlife. Foundation, Uh the lead singer, one of the biggest conservation organizations in the entire world, Mm -hmm. is actually a pretty good um, example of the use of a charismatic megafauna.
0: Yeah, um, which is also called a flagship species, and it's um, a term that came around in the '80s. I tried to find, track it back to the person who thought of it. Couldn't either. Couldn't do it. Let's go with uh, Jack Hanna. Alright. It's possible. Yeah, it is possible. Uh, but basically, it's very simple. This is a koala or a panda.
1: <laughs> right.
0: No, but sort of, yes. Um, it's an animal that, uh, is like the poster child in advertising for zoos and conservation groups because they're so stinking cute and charismatic that people open their wallets to give money toward conservation yeah. efforts.
1: You just make it rain on them. Yeah,
0: like look at that panda. I, I can't. My wallet is out all of a sudden, and I'm just pulling Benjamins out, right? And dropping them along this panda's trail. Yeah, that is charismatic megafauna. It, it is.
1: It's as si- it's as simple as that. And along the way, since it was kind of picked up and and coined and started to take seriously by conservationists, it's become you know much bigger and debated and everything. But yeah, it really helps to understand it. And bring it down to size when you realize that it's actually it's a conservation uh, idea, mm-hmm. but it's actually a marketing term. Yeah, that's that's what the whole thing is. It has nothing to do with the importance of the species to its ecosystem.
0: Not necessarily. It yeah. doesn't
1: even necessarily have to do with um, it, how endangered the species is. Yeah. Um, it really has to do with how cute and relatable humans find the species so that it will generate the most financial contributions possible toward conservation.
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And this, um, we did an episode, I think a pretty good one on zoos quite a while back, and the controversy around zoos and if we should even have zoos. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think I remember us both sort of agreeing like some zoos are terrible. Yeah. And then most zoos, or I don't know about most, but many zoos these days do such great work They are now necessary and, um, to conservation efforts or go a long way toward conservation efforts. Yeah. But we still like, it's a little creepy sometimes when you see an elephant that should roam for thousands of miles in a, you know, relatively small area.
1: It makes you think better off dead.
0: Who knows? Yeah, but then, like, man, it's just that thing with zoos again. Then you also see, like, a child get inspired to grow up to be a zoologist because they fell in love with the elephant at the zoo. Yeah. And then they lead conservation efforts. So there's captive breeding programs that bring animals back from the verge of extinction. Um, Right. All this is supposed to happen, but how often does it actually happen is my thing. I think the conservation efforts are constantly happening at, at most zoos. You, you mean specifically bringing an animal back?
1: Yeah. Or how many zoologists are actually inspired by going to a zoo as a child? Like, I mean, and is there a better way to do it? I'm sure we got into this in the in the so, zoos yeah. episode. Since that, I don't think I've been to a zoo. I think I've been to a zoo yeah. once and I was like, I can't go to zoos anymore.
0: Well, I went to the San Diego Zoo when we did our show there. Mm-hmm. Um, And now I'm a member of the Atlanta Zoo because I have a small child. Yeah. And it's a great thing to do with a small kid because it introduces them to animals, which they love. Mm-hmm. It's really neat for them to be able to see these things in person. Yep. And it, quite frankly, wears her out, which is <laughs> kind of the one thing you're trying to do yeah. as a parent. It's, it's like, to make your how, child exhausted. <laughs> look at how crazy that chimpanzee is yeah. from being locked up its whole life. I was like, I bet you can't run from one animal exhibiting zoocosis to the next <laughs> as fast as you can. <laughs> um, so anyway, I've been to the... Atlanta Zoo here a few times recently because of that and still have mixed feelings you know sure but it's hard to not see like your 20 month old delight yeah at seeing I mean one, one of these visits we call it a full-on ape show oh really yeah like you know sometimes you go to the zoo and everyone's hiding you're like oh well that's neat right. there's a tiger behind that rock somewhere <laughs> but um we, we had a good day where these this family of apes was just playing like crazy. And like this huge, was it a gorilla? I can never remember which are monkeys, which are apes. Uh, I think a gorilla is a great ape. Well, this big daddy gorilla, I mean, just to see the strength of this dude moving around and jumping around was amazing. And he would jump off of a rock and clap his hands. And the little kids were playing little baby gorillas. Mm And everyone was just like literally in awe of what they were witnessing. Yeah, I bet. It was like they pumped them full of steroids right. or so, cocaine. So Maybe they did. <laughs>
1: right then, that gorilla family was showing off their charisma. Yeah. They have natural inherent charisma as far as um, being a charismatic species goes because they're so relatable by humans. Well, yeah, I mean that's one of the things. Like, hey, this thing kind of looks like you, right? Don't you like it more than other animals? Don't you want to give us some money to protect them in the wild? Yeah, and that's the point of the charismatic megafauna usage.
0: Yeah, that we're talking, gorillas, uh, pandas, koalas, tigers, dolphins, sure, killer things. whales. Thanks oh, to yeah? Free Willy. Uh, they include lions in here, and I guess so because they're magnificent. But lions don't do a lot. Most of the big cats just sort of lay around. Sure. They're not running around like the gorillas. Yeah,
1: You got to throw your beer can at them to get them going.
0: (laughs) They had an elephant paint a picture. They did this little, like... At the zoo? Uh (sighs) Uh-huh. Did they? Yeah, they put a paintbrush in its mouth and would hold up a canvas and the elephant would, like... You Someone
1: know. else would smack away
0: the riding crop <laughs> until it did
1: what you wanted. No,
0: it wasn't like that. But so that, um,
1: that's actually you can buy um, paintings by elephants, but apparently they're not very well treated.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's. <clears throat> I think at the Atlanta Zoo they treat their animals very nicely. Sure,
1: sure. I'm not saying that, but I mean, on the internet you can buy paintings by elephants, and yeah, if you actually look into how the elephants are treated, you probably wouldn't want the painting. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be a super <laughs> activist person,
0: but no, I don't. I don't mind. It's a you know it's a controversy and, and you know what there was a tiger there that was clearly exhibiting zucosis. Mm-hmm. he was pacing back and forth and all I could do was think about how much that sucks yeah. for that tiger to be there
1: well it goes to that solitary confinement thing the episode that we did it's virtually the same thing I think you even brought up zucosis in that episode yeah. too you know man that's
0: quite a long winded uh, sort of intro huh I guess so should we take a break already and yeah I'm a little worked up get it back on the tracks yeah <laughs> shot Josh with a sedative uh-huh. from an elephant gun. Now you're drifting off. I'm a little. I'm
1: feeling pretty good. <laughs> you got a pretty good buzz.
0: Uh, all right. So we were talking about, well, a lot of things, but let's get back to characteristic charismatic. What's wrong with me today? So I read this, this
1: article um, on charismatic megafauna, and yes. they, it was a survey of... Other journal, like scholarly articles. Um, and I think they read like 70 of them because they were basically trying to figure out what a charismatic megafauna definition was. Right. Um, apparently it was just all over the place. It sure. was, it's, it's, extremely non-scientific. I think is part of the problem. Well, no, it's
0: because it's a marketing tool.
1: Man, these people were trying to like whip it into shape. The best definition they found, um, or the, the best explanation of what makes an animal charismatic was from a paper called Non-Human Charisma by a Jay Lorimer, written in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, I think, four points. One was detectability and distinctiveness. Okay. Anybody can look at a panda and be like, that's a panda. Oh, yeah. I love pandas. Look, there's one right there. There's a panda.
0: Well, and I think um, in the they interviewed a couple of zoologists, and one of them even said, you might even know a few facts about this. It's just... Regular non-zoo enthusiast, right? Like pandas eat whatever the heck pandas bamboo. eat. Bamboo. <laughs> well, I was going to say that, but then I thought that was a koala, and I was going to koalas you know, eat um, a eucalyptus. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, pa- pandas eat bamboo. Yeah, by the bushel. Mm-hmm. But you can point out a panda. You're not like oh, I can't tell if that's a camel rat or a humpback rat. You know, <laughs> like yeah, or it's it's just the same as everything else. It has to be. Its own thing yeah. that that is really that stands out. Another one is socioeconomic biases. Uh-huh. So basically, how a society feels about the animal.
0: Sure. Right. So. Like, do I want to kill the rat? Right. Or hug the panda?
1: Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, aesthetics is another one. Mm-hmm. Like, is it cute? Is it cuddly? Is it beautiful? Is it majestic? Does it look yeah. like, um, you know, uh, a. a I don't know a fat dude, right? (laughs) You know, does it like kind of look like it should be wearing a hard hat and carrying like a lunch pail, that kind of thing? Yeah, is it relatable?
0: Yeah, that panda—it looks like Kevin James with wearing a black Lone Ranger mask, (laughs) exactly. And who doesn't love Kevin James?
1: Right, wearing a black Lone Ranger mask. (laughs) And then the last one is the potential to generate satisfaction, right? So let's say that you see a panda. And you're like, I want to know what that is. I want to know all about pandas. Yeah. And you find out pandas are really boring. There's not a lot to them. There's not a lot to be said. Um, they, they do, they don't do anything. Yeah. It's not going to generate much satisfaction intellectually. So. If, if you have an animal that checks all these boxes, it's relatable, your society feels good about it, it's cute, it's cuddly, it stands out on its own. Yeah. And, and, um, it has a lot, a lot to offer intellectually. <laughs> yeah. You've got a charismatic animal. Yeah. There wow. I like that. Well, tell Jay Lorimer that you like it.
0: Jay Lorimer, if you're out there, that was wonderful work. Uh, so we're going to cover sort of the, good points and bad points about this characterization. But um when it works is when the care uh I keep saying characteristic. What is wrong with me? Charismatic megafauna functions Mm -hmm. as uh what's known as an umbrella species, uh which is to say um because people are giving money to some sort of conservation effort toward this animal, um, Mm -hmm. it's helping to protect and serve other animals (laughs) within that (laughs) ecosystem. It's a cop.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And by the way that that. Which it, makes sense. It, it does. It does. You have to kind of step back and think about it, though. You know, like, how does protecting, say, like a wolf help the rest of the ecosystem? Well, a wolf feeds on smaller animals. So you're say small children? Right, <laughs> under <laughs> the right circumstances, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, they typically they'll feed on smaller animals yeah. which say feed on insects, mm-hmm. which say feed on plants. Um so that means that if a wolf is happy and healthy in its normal ecosystem, that means that all these other species that make up the food web that the wolf is a part of must be happy and healthy too. Right. So, in that so it's sense, all linked. it's an it's an umbrella species, like you said, where if you take care of the wolf, you're inadvertently taking care of the rest of them. So, that's fine.
0: Yeah. And in one of the interviews in here, um, who was this person? Bracini. Was that from the Atlanta Zoo? Uh, yeah. Dr. Stephanie Bracini. Uh, she says, and this is, to me, kind of says it all it would be nice if endangered species status was correlated to a charismatic variable but that's not necessarily or often the case and she brings up the point of muscles uh spingler's freshwater water muscle mm-hmm. is critically endangered but has no charisma so you know there's no correlation there in the case of the panda there is because they were endangered and i think now they're just threatened right but there's not always that correlation she's like it'd be kind of great if this was you know this was always the case.
1: Yeah, I think the the point underlying the use of charismatic megafauna is just knowing that something is on the verge of going extinct has been proven not to be enough to get humans to act to do anything about I know, it. Isn't that sad? It has to be cute too. Yeah. And so, what conservationists are saying after, gosh, you're so stupid. They say, okay, uh, we can work with this. See this cute little animal. Save this animal give us your money and then they take it and and actually use it for the whole ecosystem rather than just the animal
0: yeah and that's such a human thing like the same can and has been said about like kidnap children or uh or, or the the sex trade like mm-hmm. it takes some you know cute little blonde girl to make the news right you know right and that's kind of always been the case yeah Sadly,
1: well, and it's it's not just social either. It's not just society, although society definitely values attractiveness. There have been plenty of studies f- about people with facial differences, right? Which is, oh yeah, yeah. Um, like the people used to call them disfigured people. Now it's called facial differences. I think that's a great improvement, right? Sure. But um, there have been studies with babies, and they prefer. People who, um, don't have facial differences, who follow more like a, um, a typical facial, uh, profile or feature, right? Right. Compared to people who have facial differences. And th- that suggests that it's hardwired. So babies pick up on this? Yeah. 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 Um, and the idea that it, you're basically born to prefer, say, facial symmetry or something like that. Right. It really kind of falls in line with this too. It's almost like, you can't help but say, yes, I care about this cute little baby panda or whatever because it's cute, whereas this other thing that is way more endangered and deserves our attention way more because yeah. it's actually a keystone species, which we'll talk about, Um, it's not cute, so I can't really care about it. I'm not hardwired to do that.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like that thing we've talked about before and I think recently where you prefer things that look like you because evolutionarily anything else back in tuk-tuk's days Mm -hmm. might have been a threat
1: exactly yeah yeah
0: right so it's easy to be hard on people but when you kind of look at the evolutionary aspect of it like you know well it's easy to understand as well
1: right yeah that whole in-group out-group thing yeah if we can get past that it seems like we man our, we've evolved socially faster than we've evolved biologically. I think you're right. And that it just hasn't kept up. If we could just get past that whole in group out group thing, mm-hmm. who knows what kind of world we'd be living in? High
0: school would be so great. Yeah. Everybody'd be <laughs> like, I love high school. So, um, you talked about <laughs> keystone species. Uh, that is a, a species that actually performs like a really vital role in their ecosystem.
1: Yeah. Where, like, if you took them out, the ecosystem would be so altered, so drastically altered, it probably wouldn't resemble itself any longer. It may just go away altogether. Like a honeybee. Or, like, coral. Yeah. You know? Where, like, if it's gone, you're in trouble. The thing is, is a lot of charismatic megafauna aren't keystone species it it right. actually doesn't really matter as far as the ecosystem's concerned yeah. if the panda's there so there's some other species in that ecosystem that will do the same play the same role that the panda will
0: there's pandas right now listening that said did you just hear that guy <laughs> let's go get him you ever seen a panda attack and kill a podcaster yes once it's very uh distressing uh, yeah, pandas are supposed to be super vicious. Are they? Oh, yeah. I thought that was a koala. Koalas as well? They're all vicious, aren't they? Did you see
1: the giraffe give birth?
0: No. I oh, man, I heard a lot neat. of people talking about sitting around and watching it forever and ever, uh-huh. but I, I didn't check it out.
1: It was hilariously sponsored. The webcam was sponsored by Toys R Us. Oh. You know Jeffrey Giraffe yeah, and yeah. His, his family? Well, there you go.
0: Interesting. Um, <laughs> no, it's no accident, right? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, there are also something called, uh, or there is also something called an indicator species. And this is like, if you want to know how an ecosystem is going, uh, like, let's say, how's the, the bayou doing? Let's go look at the crayfish. Hmm. Um, because that'll be a good indicator of how everything else is doing. If the crayfish numbers are down, that means something's going on.
1: Right. Or if there's, if the canaries are dying off in the coal mine, you've got, Gas, <laughs> right. Oh, but in the same way, though, it, uh, an umbrella species can also be an indicator species. Yeah. in that, like, if the wolf can't survive, that means that all the other parts of the food web are messed up too.
0: And they can also be an indicator species. Yeah, it,
1: right? I don't think that's that's how indicator species is used every time. But right. it's a it's a an argument in favor of using charismatic megafauna for conservation.
0: Um. So we've been talking a lot about, you know, people want to give to things that look like them and that are cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, this has been proven out with studies. We're not just, uh, bloviating. Um, well, I guess we are, but in addition to bloviating, <laughs> right. we're not making stuff up because, uh, University of Arizona go wildcats, right? Yes. They did a study and did find that people support preservation efforts.
1: Oh, wait. No, that's the sun devils.
0: No. That's Arizona State.
1: Okay, yeah, Wildcats. <laughs> uh
0: people did support efforts for animals that are attractive and that do look more human. Um and they even found that women support uh scary animals e- even less than men. Right. Like, you know, preservation for a snake population or uh maybe an insect or something.
1: Yeah. So this is like a Bernasian approach to conservation. Yeah. Promoting conservation. For sure. Um, also, if you're, if you are using a charismatic megafauna for conservation, um, like it, it actually can have beneficial results, right? It's yeah. not just like, theoretically, this should help. Like, every elephants, everybody loves elephants. Mm-hmm. There's not a person alive who doesn't like elephants in the West, I should say. Right. Um, the, and uh, who knows why? They're very cute. They're very sweet. They grieve over their dead. They do Uh, all sorts of interesting stuff, right? Um, And they've used elephants to uh, basically as poster species for poaching campaigns. Uh A lot more than just elephants are poached. Everything from whale sharks to rhinos to, uh, well, elephants are poached. But the idea of giving money to anti poaching campaigns because you you feel like, I want to help that elephant. Mm -hmm. Here's a check. It's actually going and helping all these other species as well. There's Supposedly, there's like 35,000 species that are subject to poaching.
0: Yeah, and the, the other example they uh, give in this article is the American bald eagle, which in the 60s and 70s, uh, there was a big movement. They were like, this is America's bird. Yeah. Dang it. You know,
1: Ben Franklin wanted the turkey. I think I did know that. Yeah.
0: Very interesting. Not the druducan. No. <laughs> that would have been even better. That would
1: have been something. Uh,
0: but yeah, in the 1670s, people were like, this is America's bird. We have to save the American bald eagle. Um, and it worked there. I think it's not even endangered any longer, right? I don't think so. My, uh, in-laws just saw one in Florida. Yeah. Pretty neat. Yeah. Kind of yeah. just think, associate them with like Alaska and yeah. the Pacific Northwest, but well, right all along the Gulf.
1: Yeah. There's like a, a Whole group in the Gulf, and there's a whole group up in the Great White Way. Yeah, well above that. What's the Great White Way? I I think think that's Broadway, isn't it? I don't know. I never heard. It's either Broadway or Canada. I think it's Broadway, (laughs) but I thought it was Canada because I heard Scott Thompson from the Kids in the Hall call Broadway that. (laughs) So I was like, I guess he's talking about Canada, and then I found out he's actually it was Broadway. I think it's Broadway.
0: That was way more complex than I thought. Mm Hmm. Um. And the panda, you know, we mentioned, um, their comeback. Uh, they have a 17% wild population increase over the past, uh, 10 or so years, largely because, you know, people love pandas. Sure. And they'll open up the wallet.
1: And again, I mean, not necessarily specifically with pandas, but with some species, if you can say their, their population's coming back in the wild, mm-hmm. then it also indicates that the their ecosystem is, getting better healthy again as well yeah so that's all well and good it's good that it it, it's made some money right sure but there's also plenty of criticisms to using charismatic megafauna Uh, and let's take a break and we'll talk about it right after this So Chuck, yes. What's what's the problem with using a cute <laughs> panda or an elephant or something like that to get money for conservation? How could there be anything wrong with it?
0: Uh well, it's uh, there another word for this is the Bambi effect, like when you care only about the cute thing. Right. Um and they interviewed for our own article. It's interesting. The the Atlanta Zoo uh zoologist was like, this is kind of great and it's working.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then they interviewed uh, Christina Simmons of the San Diego Zoo Global, uh, and she was a little more like, you know what, this is an 80s thing, yeah, and we have moved past that here in San Diego. Right. I- ignore that panda on the brochure, right. but we've moved past it.
1: Yeah. I thought that was funny. The article pointed out that they had plenty of charismatic species on their website. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they supposedly moved past it. So apparently in their projects, they stopped focusing on charismatic megafauna is what she was saying, right?
0: Yeah, she said that they, um, what they're trying to do is focus on an environment more than like, it's not like they don't focus on animals, but they try to look at, at it from an, uh, I guess from a ecosystem point of view. Is that right?
1: I think so. Or they're looking more at animals that, um, have a bigger impact on their ecosystem. Right. Than, than charismatic megafauna might, right?
0: Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. um, I don't think it was, or maybe it was her. They kind of put it in an interesting way that I hadn't thought of. It sort of creates a class struggle. Yeah. A bit, um, between, quote, wealthy animal, end quote, and a poor animal as far as, uh, their richness being determined by their likability.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, it's as simple as that. And it's not just, public awareness of, you know, these species being endangered, whereas there's plenty of other species that aren't charismatic that are way more in trouble and in danger of being extinct. Um, it's scientific money, too. Like, scientists need funding to do their studies. Yeah. And if there's plenty of funding around to focus on pandas, but not, say, those mussels that went extinct... Yeah. Well, there's going to be a lot more scientific study directed toward pandas and saving pandas than saving those mussels. Even though yeah. those mussels probably keep their aquatic ecosystem clean, whereas pandas just poop everywhere and they don't do anything to clean up their ecosystem.
0: I wonder what the scientific ethics are. Maybe a researcher can tell us about where funding goes like if, you know, if they're like, well, let's divert some of that to um this other species whereas the individual who donated might be like no just pandas well
1: that was actually brought up in the uh, in this larger article that survey of like the 70 other articles about charismatic megafauna and they said that that could be an issue some donors want to know that their money is going toward what they donated it right for. and if you think you donated it to save pandas and these guys are being like yeah yeah we're helping pandas but we're also helping these snakes well, you hate snakes. Yeah, you might be unhappy that your money's helping snakes, well, I even guess, though the snakes really need the help.
0: Yeah, one thing I have noticed with donation sites is a lot of times they'll have that, and then let's say, would you also like to donate five dollars to the general fund? Right. Um, stuff you know, so you can help the snake.
1: Yeah.
0: And there's not one that says the general fund, and no, but no snakes. Right. No, there's
1: not an <laughs> option. You're do- you're donating to snakes with the general fund. You know. Yeah. There's also the issue of it being a totally unscientific idea. Right. It's completely subjective. Like even here in the West, people are like, well, lions are beautiful and majestic. But if you talk to um school kids in Tanzania, they'll say, "Actually, lions are quite fearsome because we live near them and right. um I have a friend whose uncle was killed by a lion." So I hate them. Right. So you can't even agree on what what um what Animals have charisma, even even you know. It seems like a, a foregone conclusion to us. The people who are carrying out these conservation efforts and who are donating the conservation dollars aren't the ones who have to actually live with these animals as well, right? Yeah. So if you're an organization who's getting conservation dollars from these people to save these animals that the locals actually hate, right? You're going to have a problem here. Yeah. So what are some of the solutions to these, to, to, con- what wh- what can you do as a conservationist if you're facing this, this issue where you need money, but you also need to be realistic? I have a feeling
0: you have an answer <laughs> in wait.
1: Well, one of the, one of the great suggestions that I've run across is, um, you can talk about these species that people like, but. Just talk about them in in
0: realistic terms. And don't say how cute they are and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Or don't make it sound like they're the most important animal on the planet. Right. Like put it in its relative context, right? Or this one is even better. Take an actual keystone species from an ecosystem that's in real danger of becoming oh, extinct. Yeah. And then put your marketing uh-huh. people to work. On creating charisma for that animal.
0: Yeah, because you know what they could do that in most cases. Right, unless it's a komodo dragon.
1: No, that's actually a really great example of of them doing that.
0: Well, I was about to, the reason I mentioned that is because I was that was one of my favorite animals at the Atlanta Zoo was I could sit around and watch that komodo dragon for days. Yeah, he was so cool looking. Right, but a lot of people might not think so. So, <laughs> like appar- Sharon Stone's ex-husband. <laughs> Apparently, there was a huge what. Sharon Stone's ex-husband was bitten by a Komodo dragon, very famously. Was he hurt? Yeah. Did he die? No. Oh. That's not why he's an ex.
1: Did he lose a toe?
0: Well, I should say he's an ex because he got bitten by the Komodo dragon, but just because she was embarrassed by it. So she divorced him.
1: No. <laughs> no, I'm just oh, kidding. okay.
0: <laughs> She's like, oh my God, I can't even go out in public now. Right. See you, you later.
1: You've mortified me.
0: Yeah, I, I, I figured you would have known about that. It was a very, no. I mean, not funny for him. Funny for for everyone else.
1: (laughs) No, but apparently there was a big local uh, push to save Komodo dragons. They were not Uh well-liked, but they put some top marketing people on it and gave the Komodo dragon charisma. Like, just pointing to a, a panda bear and being like, pretty cute, huh? That doesn't take any marketing skill. No. It takes real marketing skill to take a hated and reviled animal that needs human help and make it charming.
0: You know who could solve all of this god Disney oh yeah you know yeah all you gotta do is make a movie about a Komodo dragon as the hero sure and and literally that would change everything
1: somebody needs to throw out Walt Disney
0: throw him out yeah oh is he still frozen I don't know if that's true or an urban legend or not. We should get Holly from uh, Stuff You Missed in History class in here.
1: Well, we did an episode on cryogenics, and I'm sure we covered it, but that was a
0: long time ago. Holly, for all I know, might have Walt Disney frozen in her house. She might. You know? Being held captive. (laughs) Uh, So should we talk a little (laughs) bit about biodiversity? I think we should. And why that's important, because that's kind of what we're talking about here in a roundabout way, is a healthy ecosystem depends on biodiversity. And that doesn't just mean, uh, what's known as species diversity or species richness, which is, you know, a lot of different animals. Well,
1: that's what most people think of when they think of biodiversity.
0: Yeah, it's a lot more complex than that.
1: Yeah, so there's, um, there's species diversity, like you just said. There's also genetic diversity, uh-huh. which is the combined number of genes that's available to, uh, species worldwide. Yeah. And the more genetic diversity a species have, the m- the easier it can withstand um, things like disease. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some in- individuals are going to die, but overall the species should be able to survive it because there's probably a gene in there somewhere that can combat this disease or is immune to this disease, and they'll develop an immunity to it, and the species will go on. So species diversity is a very important type of biodiversity, too.
0: Yeah, like uh, bald eagle again. Good a genetic example.
1: diversity, sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, bald eagle, good example, because they are spread out all over, uh, well, not all over, but in those certain places in North America. Right. Gives them good genetic diversity, uh, thus they were able to come back. The cheetah, um, not so much back in the day. There was only one species, I think, uh, around 10,000 years ago. Yeah,
1: I didn't see what happened to the, species, or the cheetah, did you?
0: What, all the other species? Yeah. I don't know.
1: That's pretty bizarre. Just one survived.
0: Yeah, the uh Asenonix <laughs> jubatus. I think that's right. In Africa. And um that was a problem because when you just have one species, you're inbreeding a lot and your genetic diversity goes way down and yep. all of a sudden you uh one thing could come along and wipe you out. Exactly. One one disease or something.
1: Right. Um, and then there's also ecosystem diversity, which is the number of different types of ecosystems around the world. The more you have those, the better off you are. It's kind of like biodiversity is a really good example of not having all of your eggs in one basket. Yeah. You want to diversify. It's the same thing with stocks and
0: bonds. <laughs> That's right. You know? Uh, and as humans, biodiversity is a big deal because uh, of medicine that we use that comes from uh, plants, let's yep. say. Uh what else? Clothes that we wear? From plants and animal fibers?
1: Sure. What we eat? That's another big one too. Can't forget that.
0: Yeah. And the point is it's all linked. Like you talked about earlier, the, the wolf population will have a, or the honeybee population mm-hmm. will have an effect on down the line because it's all one big linked puzzle and something like colony collapse disorder, uh, can foul it up to the point where just because the honeybee are, the crop production as a whole in the United States is in trouble.
1: Right, right, so there's it, it it seems kind of remedial to to go over, but it's important to to point out like what's at stake here when you're talking about extinction,
0: right? It's, it's not like, oh, we don't have honey anymore.
1: Right. No, so there's, sad. the entire ecosystems can fail. And when entire ecosystems fail, the world gets a little less biodiverse. And when that happens, it's a little more fragile. And it just keeps getting set up more and more and more yeah. for some sort of larger collapse. That's more than just say a honeybee collapse. Right. Um, and apparently the, the big one, the big daddy as far as, um, as reduction of biodiversity goes. Well, there's two of them. One is invasive species.
0: Yeah, I didn't know... We should do a show on... We were going to do one on Kudzu at one point. Yeah. I don't know if that's two separate shows or not. I don't know. But I didn't realize that invasive species cause that much damage.
1: Yeah, there's something like um, half of all of the extinctions, special extinctions since the 1600s, they attribute to invasive species. That's crazy. Where it's just, you know, you've got a, a species that's introduced into a new um, ecosystem, it doesn't have any predator, so it... It preys on other things and reproduces unchecked and just totally throws off the ecosystem, right? Yeah. Half of extinction comes from invasive species. And then another 36% apparently comes from deforestation, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, the other two big ones are overhunting, um, like we were talking about with uh, like the rhino and elephants and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And back in our uh, pigeons episode, literally caused the extinction of the passenger pigeon. Uh, And then climate change is the fourth, which um, sort of just getting started on that one. So I would that's an increasingly becoming a problem with animals forced from their habitats. Yeah, but deforestation is the big daddy.
1: Yeah, and apparently one of the big issues with deforestation, although there has been a lot of headway made with slowing deforestation. Yeah, um, but the rainforest is particularly vulnerable because it it covers about seven percent. Of Earth's landmass, mm-hmm. but it houses about half of Earth's species. That's crazy, right? So there's that problem with a lot of eggs in one basket. Yeah, if you mess with that basket, you're you're in big trouble. I think that's how the saying goes, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, one of the problems with deforestation is that if you are uh, developing economy uh-huh. and you've got a lot of economic activity that can be gained by cutting down rainforest. It's kind of tough to fault that, that economy. Right. To say, what are you doing? You know, we we as humanity need that. That's nature's pharmacy. Yeah. Right? Um, there's also apparently a lot of, uh, issue with indigenous peoples in rainforests as well. That a lot of them are like, well, they're indigenous people. They know what they're doing. Well, they're also like deforesting the, the rainforest themselves as Mm -hmm. well. So there's a lot of programs that have been put into place to reduce deforestation. And like I said, they're having an effect. Apparently, within the last couple of years, deforestation has fallen like 49% year over year.
0: In Brazil, yeah.
1: In Brazil, which is where a lot of it was happening. Yeah. So the idea of deforestation not happening in um, Brazil or happening less, that's a big deal.
0: Yeah, and they have found a direct correlation between um, the, the local economy being less reliant on uh the rainforest and having like a healthy economy doesn't that doesn't depend on the rainforest and deforestation decreasing right so it's you know it's not rocket science right and thanks to don henley it's all getting better Yep. and al gore and tom petty all don henley does is help the rainforest and be a jerk and sue people who does he sue Dude, Don Henley sues everybody. Sue everybody. Shush, <laughs>
1: sue, did he sue Sharon Stone's husband?
0: Ex-husband? I think so. No, he's sort of a notorious jerk as far as like, oh, you, you know, you used this Eagle song when you weren't supposed to and I'm taking you to court.
1: And then I'll cut you, man.
0: He like, one of my favorite bands. <laughs> and then I'll cut you. <laughs> That's not a peaceful, easy feeling at all. No. Um, Ockerville River, one of my favorite bands, they, Kind of reworked a Don Henley song as a homage and a tribute and, uh, didn't even like, I think they just put it on the web. They weren't like trying to make money off of it. Uh-huh. And they're like, man, we love this song. We kind of reworked it and like, here it is. And he was like, shut it down. Get it off the internet. I'm suing you, little indie band. Really? Yeah. And, wow. and Will Sheff, their, uh, their lead singer and songwriter, he was just sort of like, man, really?
1: Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm gonna have my Eagles tattoo grated <laughs> off. No more
0: uh no more homages to you, sir. All
1: right. It was the end of Will Chef's innocence about Don Henley.
0: <laughs> uh I'm gonna see Joe Walsh tomorrow night. If and Tom you, Petty. He's opening up. Wow. Which I'm pretty excited about. Wow. Usually openers at those big shows are I don't know. They don't do a good job pairing them sometimes. Oh yeah? Yeah, like, I saw Elton John once and he had these two cello players. Yo-Yo Ma? Yeah, and his, and his brother. (laughs) Right. No, it was, I mean, it was kind of neat. That's the
1: only cello player I know.
0: (laughs) They were, I can't remember their names and I'm sure there are tons of people that are fans of these guys because they play like, uh, like ACDC songs on the cello and it's really sort of, I mean, it was cool. Sure. But, I don't know, like, I just wanted to, I wanted to see Joe Walsh open up for everybody.
1: So, um, (laughs) Yumi and I went and saw Cindy Lauper a couple of years ago. Oh. And Dr. John opened for her. Yeah, that's not a good pairing. It Well, it, so it was an amazing show. Both of them were. Uh huh. But, um. Isn't it the, weird though? The, it was like the Dr. John show happened and then everyone left and oh. then everyone came in for Cindy Lauper. Interesting. It was a very weird pairing. Huh. I think Cindy Lauper is just like a Dr. John fan and wanted to make sure he got some money that year or something, right? Yeah. But it was like two different shows. Like an early show and a late show, as far as the audience was concerned.
0: Yeah, I saw Josh Groban open up for Iron Maiden. I thought that was strange, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Bruce Dickinson is a well-known operatic singer.
0: Oh, well, that's true. So and, I can kind see that. Yeah?
1: Tattooed millionaire pilot.
0: Man, what a great ending. Oh, are we done? Did you have anything else?
1: Nope. If you want to know more about Iron Maiden, biodiversity, Josh Groban, Yo-Yo Ma, all that jazz, yeah. type those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com and press your luck. Since I said press your luck, it's time for listener mail.
0: All that jazz, none of which was jazz. No. All right. Um, I wonder where that term came from. Just.
1: I think it's from the great white way. Right. <laughs>
0: I mean, there was a show called All That Jazz, but right. did they invent that? I think so. Okay. That solves it. Uh, this is from, I'm going to call this from our old buddy, uh, Sarah Law, who's one of our oldest, um, I always say oldest, like she's 90. Long, longest lasting? Longest running. standing? Yeah, longstanding listeners uh, from Canada. Uh, hey guys, uh, Josh, Chuck, and Jerry. Can you still not spell Jerry right, Sarah, after all these years? How does you spell it, Gary? With a G. Yeah, Gary. J-E-R-I, everybody. Um, I know you guys love animals, so I thought it'd be great if you could share this uh, Stuff You Should Know Army story. friend needed to give up his cat for adoption because he's moving out of the United States. Uh, due to health issues of the cat, shelters would not take her. He was going to have to put her down, which oh, I can't believe that's the solution. Yeah. Like, i got to move. I'll just put you down. That aside. Um, I put out a ninth hour call. I think it's... 11th hour in the United States. Apparently in Canada it's the 9th hour. <laughs> I right. uh, put out a 9th hour call to this uh, stuff you should know army. And a nice person named uh, Kevin Lyman asked everyone he knew if they could take her. And I'm happy to say that Kevin's co-worker, Kat, with a K, picked Ava up, and Ava is the cat, from the vet appointment to save her life.
1: And then took her to be put down.
0: <laughs> no. I saw a picture of this cat. It was adorable. Yeah. Uh, never underestimate the power of the stuff you should know, army. And I think she shared this on Facebook, and it, you know, kind of happened that way. Yeah, that's great. Uh, love the show. Thank you for enriching our lives in so many ways. Your Canadian friend, Sarah Oxo. Thanks a lot, Sarah. That was a great story. Yeah. And how told,
1: appropriate for this. I
0: told Sarah that. Oh yeah.
1: I didn't think about that. Cats are charismatic mini fauna. <laughs> uh,
0: I told Sarah we, uh, in all likelihood, are going to be coming up to the Great White Way. <laughs> I hope that's what it is. <laughs> For some shows this year. We're going to be hitting Canada, I think. Yeah, yeah. So At least up. one, right? Yeah, we've been teasing these shows, but we're kind of oh, yeah, nailing okay. it all down. Mm-hmm. So listen up, all eight of you who still listen this deep into the show. Sure. We might be coming to a town near you.
1: Yeah, and let everybody else know. Yes. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash StuffYouShouldKnow. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.